That's pretty cool stuff. Uh, I like that. My rise, my fall, and my rise again, that kind of describes world history in a lot of respects. Uh, we were created in relationship with God. We were created to, to live in this beautiful, perfect world under his direct leadership and rule. We were given management of this world under his direct leadership and rule, and uh, we messed up. As human race, we gave that over to God's enemy, and that's when uh, darkness came in. That's when all the pain came in and all the heartache and all the failure and all the things we see around us in life, all the relational breakdowns, the sickness, the warfare, the poverty, the crime, all the heartache. And yet, God wasn't content to leave the world in that condition, so he sent his son Jesus into the world. And Jesus came into the world, died on the cross, taking the sins of the entire world on himself so that he could break the power of sin. And then he rose from the dead, breaking the power of death and giving us life so that we could rise again, as uh, our friend in the video put it, so that we could have a new start, new hearts, new lives, a new beginning. We could experience freedom. And this, this series of messages and this, pro, this project, the Freedom Project, is really about us gaining freedom, walking in the freedom that God created us for, recognizing what it means to say that we are sons and daughters of the living God, that His resources are immense, they are unending, and that he has a purpose for each one of our lives. To realize that God has a destiny for your life. He has a desire for your life. And it, and it goes beyond anything that you've thought of or could imagine to this point. And God has promised the resources for you to fulfill your destiny. That's what freedom's all about. That's what living in freedom is all about. That's what living with a spirit of abundance is all about, is living with the confidence that God not only has a destiny for my life as, as part of his purpose in this world, but he also has committed himself to providing everything I need in order to fulfill that destiny. But so often we live in this sense of fear and anxiety. We live in a world of fear and anxiety. I mean, we live in a broken, fallen world, and things don't go the way they're supposed to go, the way God created them to. And so, of course, uh, there's fear, and there's worry, and there's anxiety over provision. There's anxiety over what, what will we do, what will happen if we lose our health insurance, what will happen if I lose my job, what will happen if the economy tanks, will I ever be able to retire, will Social Security be there when I get old enough to to, uh, to benefit from it. I mean, the, the list of questions can go on and on and on and on and on. And they can become much smaller than that. How will I repair the front screen door if the kids keep slamming it like they do? I mean, it, it, the, the, the issues aren't just big issues. It boils down to smaller things as well. I, I remember in years gone by when we had little kids and, um, boy, we just didn't have enough money to fix cars. And I spent so much time under cars repairing mufflers. I mean, anybody here identify with that? I know how to repair mufflers. You can use uh, soup cans. Uh, you can use, I, I've used uh, chains 
to, to hook into one side and then you get a chain and you hook it on the other side and, and tighten it down and it'll just hold the whole thing together even though they've rusted apart, stuff like that. And so I was, I was always worried about hitting bumps with the car. And, and if, if you hit a bump, I'm thinking, oh no, there's another day. I'm going to have to work in the muffler. Or if the kid slammed the door, we had uh, cars where the windows broke and you couldn't crank the window up. And so I'd spend half a day taking that whole thing apart and using my very best uh, survival um, island skills to, to uh, repair that. And then I would be worried and I'd, don't slam the door so hard. And every time one of the kids had slammed the door hard, I'd, you know, I'd get all tense and, and think, oh no, I'm going to lose another day and I'm going to have to fix this. And, and we live in that type of a world. So the, the idea that we would be nervous about things I mean, in some respects, it's just a shrug of the shoulders, isn't it? It's just like, well, of course, duh. But you see, that's the thing is that God, he wants a people that are different than the norm. He's called us to live a different way. He's given us a vision of a coming kingdom where there aren't going to be any rusted out mufflers. There won't be any windows that break in, in cars the, the, the handles won't break, and there will be enough for tomorrow, and no one will worry about that. It's called the kingdom of God. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and then when he sent the Holy Spirit, what he did <clears throat> was to purchase this world back, to bring it back under God's rule. And now he says there's a coming day when this kingdom is going to be here, when Jesus is going to come back, and he is going to use the full authority and power of the kingdom himself to institute the kingdom on this world, on this earth. But now he calls us to be kingdom people. We are a people of the future. We live here, but we live in the presence of a future reality. And that future reality has come back and has invaded our lives. It's in our lives, the kingdom of God, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we are kingdom people. We're not fallen, broken world people any longer. And so we are called to live with a different attitude and a different mindset towards this world. In fact, God's given us the authority and the power to release his kingdom here. That's why we pray for the sick. That's, what, that's why we pray for situations that uh, look hopeless, look like can't, can't happen. Nothing can happen there because we all know how it goes in this world. And yet we step in and we pray. I had someone recently say that they, they had some... Um, uh, uh, international uh, work to do with visas and stuff and can't possibly be completed before the first of next year. And as I'm standing there listening to this, I'm just thinking, well, I'm going to pray that it'll happen by this September. And so let's pray. And we just pray, Lord, just give favor, give favor to this man's signature on the paper, to every Every form he fills out and he turns in, let your favor rest on that and have this whole process completed, not by next January of 2015, but by September of 2014. You see, you and I have authority to ask for things that break outside the norm, that go outside the norm of what we see in this world and what we've grown up with. 
And that's what God calls us to when he calls us to relationship with Jesus. He calls us to live with a mindset that we've been referring to as an abundance mindset. You see, there's the scarcity mindset, which is just the normal mindset in this broken, fallen world. And the scarcity mindset says, what's going to happen if the door is slammed? Don't slam that door. A scarcity mindset constantly asks what-if questions, and there's anxiety and fear about the future. But an abundance mindset has a sense of confidence and peace that God has called me, I'm his child, he has a destiny for me, and he's going to fulfill that destiny. He's going to provide what I need to fulfill that destiny. So an abundance mindset isn't as much about uh, how much money I have. An abundance mindset isn't about, well, if I give, then God will give me tenfold back, and then I'll be rich, and I won't have to worry about the future. No, an abundance mindset is, I'm not going to worry about the future because my father's rich. I'm not going to worry about the future because he loves me. He cares about me. He's called me to something in life, and he will enable me to fulfill it. That's why I'm not going to worry about the future. And so this abundance mindset is more about possibilities. It's more about our view of life itself. It it impacts our decision-making. And it's all about God as our Father and really knowing that He is our Father and experiencing the peace and the comfort that uh, should come from that. Now, there's a problem that uh, Jesus identifies over and over in the New Testament. And uh, Jesus talked so much about money because He realized that we live in this broken, fallen world where everything is focused on scarcity and will I have enough? And even when people are able to accumulate and, and, they, and they gather more and more and more, they still don't have security. Because whatever you think will give you security, if you get that amount, that's no longer your level of security. It's going to take more than that. And that's going to take more than that. And that's because possessions don't provide security. Only relationship with God provides security. Jesus knew that, but he knew also that we have this attachment to possessions and specifically to money, which is representative of things that we want. It's representative, at least in our minds, of future security, and it's representative of power. And therefore, it has a grip on our hearts. And so Jesus talked about money a lot in the New Testament. There was one place in Luke 16 where Jesus made some statements that are pretty profound. He says this in in Luke 16, uh, verses 11 through 13. He says, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And then he goes on to say, no one can serve two masters... You cannot serve God and money. And so what he's saying here is this. He's saying whatever amount of worldly wealth has been entrusted to me or to you, whatever amount that might be, you know, whatever career path I'm on, whatever, um, whatever my job pays, whatever uh, I have saved, whatever I've been uh, given in an inheritance, whatever it might be, 
He's saying, am I dealing with that in faithfulness to God? Am I living with that with a spirit of abundance, trusting in God as my provider? Am I handling it in a way that God wants me to handle it? You see, we need God's direction for just about everything in this broken, fallen world. Because when you grow up in a broken and fallen world, you might learn some good things, and hopefully we do from our parents, and that's our goal as parents to teach our children uh, biblical principles and ways to think and ways to handle relationships and life and possessions and work. But there are so many things that we don't know, even the, even the person who's received the best upbringing. And so we have to come to God and say, God, I, I, you know, we got married three months ago and I sure didn't anticipate this. How do I handle this right now? How do I handle my spouse uh, relating to me the way she is or the way he is? Because I'm not prepared for that. God, you've got to show me how to do that. And so we go to God and we ask him to show us. We, we, we as well have to come to God and ask him to show us, how do we handle this worldly wealth? God, give us your instructions on how to handle it. Because if I just do what I see around me in the world, then what that means is I'm just going to get as much as I can and, and I'm going to dream about as much as I can. If I can't get it, I'm going to dream about it. And either one of them betrays something that's, that, that is settled deep in my heart. And that is this, that we have an innate love for money. There is just this human tendency to love money. And what Jesus is talking about in this verse is breaking our love affair with money. He says, if you, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, if we're not handling worldly wealth with the right heart attitude, if I'm not handling it in the, the way God wants me to, which, by the way, extends beyond giving. Okay, we're talking a lot about giving in this series. And I think giving is a key because it's, it's so counter to what, to what our human nature tells us to do. But there are other Bible principles about, about money. One of them is work hard. Get the best job you can, prepare for it, and work hard. Go to work. Even if you don't feel good, even if you didn't sleep the night before, go to work. Work hard. Work to honor your boss, even if your boss is a total jerk. Honor your boss. Make him or her look like the best boss in the world because you are such a great employee. Do everything you can to make the, the place you work at and work for prosper. And God will bless you with that attitude. That's, that's one part of it, the whole thing. Another part of the whole thing is spend wisely. You know, we have to be wise in our spending. We have to be careful about spending. You know, simply, simple is don't overspend. Don't spend beyond what you make. Now, that's so easy to do today with credit cards. Former generations really didn't have the option of spending more than they made. Uh, Not as easily as we do today. But don't overspend. Don't spend more than you make. In fact, 
Spend an amount that still allows you to save something. The Bible talks about saving. It's a good thing. It's a wise thing. Saving not for security, but for provision. You know, you need something. You know you're going to need a new car in three years or four years or whatever. So you save for that. Not for security, you get it, but for provision. And then he says also in the Bible a fourth key principle about how we handle our our worldly wealth is we give. We give. And it is giving that is the thing that breaks open our hearts and breaks the love affair that we have with money. And what Jesus is saying in these verses, they're still up on the screen, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So we can't serve two. And what Jesus is pointing out here is that the chief rival for our affections of our hearts, God's chief rival is money. God's chief rival is money. Now, I I have my beautiful wife here sitting uh, in the front row, and we've been married for almost 39 years. Uh, And uh, I love her, and I'm so thankful for her. But in, in that dating period where we met and we were, we were really deciding, you know, is this the person for me and all of that, how about if I had had another girl on the side or she had had another guy on the side and her heart was given to that guy as well or my heart was given to this other girl as well? What would have to happen for us to really be what God wants us to be? At some point... I would have had to say no to, to, this other, to this other person. At some point, she would have had to say no to this other person. No. This is the guy. I'm going to give my heart to Van. We are going to become one. We are going to be married. And I'm, I'm giving my heart to him and to him only. And you see, what Jesus is saying here is we're trying to give our hearts to God, but then also to money. And so we have to break the love affair with money that we have in order to give our hearts more fully to God. I'm not sure we'll ever do it entirely in this life, but we can have moments where we can take big giant steps ahead. You remember Mother May I? Anybody play that game? A pretty arbitrary game. I mean, one person gets to tell you whether you get to take a big step or a little step, but, but sometimes you get to take a giant step. And that's what this, this whole uh, project is about, us all taking a giant step ahead and, and, and experiencing significantly greater freedom than we've ever thought possible from the fear of provision, which is related to the love of money, whether we would call it that or not. And here it says this, Jesus said at the beginning of the verse, if, if you're untrustworthy or if you're not handling it according to God's ways, what God's revealed, God's kingdom, if you're, un, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust with you true rich, the true riches of heaven? Now, what he's saying there is that what God has given us, what God has provided for us, the way we handle it is a, is a, is a, something that's either going to 
open us up to greater spiritual truth or we're going to get locked in right here and we're not going to see any greater spiritual truth. You see, if I just stay in love with this, then I'm, then I'm not going to have a greater spiritual revelation. I'm not going to understand who Jesus is in a deeper way. I'm not going to understand who God is in a deeper way and what he's done in my life in a more full way. I'm not going to experience more joy because I'm locked in on this. This is my joy. This is where my heart is. Just like my relationship with Lori would not move ahead if I had my arm around another girl. It wouldn't move ahead. And so he's saying here that if, if we really want to understand in a deeper way, who God is, who Jesus is, and to experience the beauty and the power and the joy of God's presence and the Holy Spirit's presence. If I want to experience greater freedom from things in my life that can only come because the Holy Spirit sets me free, then this whole issue of how I handle money and what part, what, what degree of affection is draining from my heart is key. And so as I come to the point that I say, okay, God, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've worried, I've fretted, I've feared, and I can't see myself breaking this, this open and, and, and giving. But God, I, I'm going to admit to you that I've been looking at this all wrong. I've been looking at money for my security rather than you. And, and right now, God, I'm, I just ask you, forgive me for that. I want to turn from that. And remember what Jonathan did in this story in 1 Samuel 14. If you haven't read it, go back there and read it. He believed God and he acted. He believed God and he took bold action and he took down an enemy stronghold, uh, two men against at least 20, maybe 30 or 40, and his great victory occurred. And when that occurred, the power and presence of God just broke into the whole, the whole battlefield for miles around. And so I come to God and I say, God, I'm going I'm to open this up and I'm going to give something that's uncomfortable for me to give. I'm going to give in a way that, that takes me out of my comfort zone and that enables me to just, to just to take this bold step of saying, I no longer want to be locked into the love of money. I want to be locked into you, and I want to be trusting you with my life and finding my security totally and completely in you. And when that happens, then uh, there's, there's great freedom that comes. Now, scarcity mindset has a tendency to look at life as if God's power and provision are limited or as if I am somehow um, a, a child of his but not really worthy of his full attention. It's kind of like I'm the stepchild, and I just get shoved off in the corner, and the real children get blessings, but the stepchildren don't, don't get much. Well, in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, here's what we read about that. Uh, it, it says something about the person that believes in Jesus. And, and the previous verse said that he came to his own, meaning he came to the Jewish people, and they rejected him. By and large, as a nation, they rejected him. And then it goes on to say, yet to all who received him, in other words, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to live as children of God, children born, not born of natural descent nor of human decision, but born of God. 
Now, as I look at this verse in, in the original text, I see an order here that believe comes first. It's not the equivalent to receiving, but believing is the foundation. Yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for my sins and rose from the dead, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going I'm to receive him into my life. I'm going to welcome him into my life. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to ask him to lead me in life and to change me and make me who he wants me to be. That's what receiving him is. And he says, if we've done that, then we get the right. That means the legal authority. That's what that word means. It means authority, the rights. What rights do you have in this legal case? That's language that would be used in the courtroom. The legal authority to live as children of God. Born of God, of God's desire, of God's will. And so we are sons and daughters of the living God with the full rights and authority that come as sons and daughters in another passage says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. And so we are in a a legal position before God to be his heir to be joint heirs with Jesus. Whatever Jesus is going to get as an inheritance, that's what you and I are entitled to. Now, I read recently of a uh, well-known, powerful, and wealthy person who passed away, and um, he had had different things in his background. Uh, he was elderly when he passed away. And from early in his life, uh, two, two women appeared and said, this man is our father. He was married to our mother very early in life, and he's never acknowledged us, but we are his daughters, and, and we think that we should be part of this whole legality of figuring out his estate right now. Now, even when he was still alive, they approached him, and he rejected them. But they're so certain that he is their father that they are pressing now for DNA testing, They want to have the DNA tested to demonstrate that they are actually his legal offspring. And if they are, then they will have legal standing in this whole inheritance situation. And they will have the right to live as this man's daughters, even though he didn't acknowledge them in that case. In our case, the father fully acknowledges us. He loves us personally and individually, and he guarantees us the right to live in that love. Now, as, as you, you look on in the Gospel of John, John 16, this is what Jesus said. This is the night before he died. He's, tell, he's saying really important stuff here, because this is like his last chance to talk to, to his followers. And he's giving them these important teachings. And he says this. He says, in that day, you'll ask in my name. And then he says, I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. So Jesus is saying this. He's saying, it's not like you're going to have to come to me and say, Jesus, would you please go ask God to to provide, you know, for this so we can do that. He's saying, you're not going to have to do that. 
you can go to God the Father directly yourself and get what you want. Why? Because he's your father and he loves you personally. Does that make sense? Do you see that there? He loves you personally. You can go directly to him because he loves you personally. And it's out of this confidence of his great love for us that we can live lives that are free from worry and free from scarcity. Now, later in Matthew 6, uh, or, or actually earlier in his ministry, Jesus says this. He says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For unbelievers focus all their energy on these things. Remember I said that's just the way of the world. That's just what happens in the world. We focus on provision and, and there's a scarcity mindset. And he says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. But you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So there's the, the confidence that as we fulfill his mission for our lives we will be uh, provided for to complete the destiny he's called us to. Now, just a simple question. How can I recognize a scarcity spirit? We talk, we're talking about it, but let me give you some illustrations of it, okay? A scarcity spirit uh, has tendency overall in life, even when it doesn't have to, money, have to do with money, because it's, scarcity isn't just money. It is time. It is power. A scarcity of time, a scarcity of power, a scarcity of strength, a scarcity of love, a scarcity of relationships. Scarcity mentality touches every area of life. It just focuses on money because it's such a key issue for us. It's more pessimistic about life in general. It's uh, less hopeful. So the, the glass is always half empty. There's always, well, what if something goes wrong? Well, yeah, if you borrow the car, be careful, don't wreck. And then the parent just can't go to sleep because they're just afraid something's going to happen. It's, it's pessimistic. It's more fearful than confident. Uh, it, it'll be anxious around other people and uh, fearful that the bad thing is going to happen. Things break worried about stuff all the time. It's more defeated than victorious. That goes without say. It's more focused on weakness than strength. It's more burdened and less free. And there's a tendency for the scarcity spirit even to be more um, greed fits in. I mean, it might not appear to be greed or be identified directly as greed, but it, it draws stuff to itself. It's more self-centered because my security is in what I have. Therefore, I've got to have as much as I can. I've got to protect it. I've got to hold on to it. And so it's, it's self-centered and, and kind of greedy and jealous of others. And what it does is it diminishes our true identity as sons and daughters of God. And it hinders us from fulfilling our mission. Because if I have a scarcity mindset then my mind is going to be focused on how much do I have. And I'm going to look at other people through that lens. And I'm going to evaluate other people, consciously or subconsciously, as either better off than me or worse off than me. And with a scarcity mindset, I'm going to view myself as a benefactor only to people who are worse off than me. A benefactor is someone who has something 
to give to someone else. And do you know, we all, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live inside each one of us as believers in Christ. We all have power from God to offer to other people. But if I have a scarcity mentality, then I'm going to view myself in, uh, in light of how I view others. And so people that are either better off than me or, or maybe I'd view them as higher on the social scale, uh, somehow I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel like, well, I can't, what do I have to offer them? Wow, look, they have so much. How can I offer them anything? And so it hinders our view of just what God wants to do through us. Now, let me give you just a, a couple of illustrations of this. Let's say um, <clears throat> God speaks, speaks to you about attending a conference or a mission trip or a retreat or a class. And the very first thought you have that comes into your mind is, I don't have enough money to go on that retreat. I can't go. I don't have enough time to go to that class. I can't go. And that's it. Just right there. Just not enough money, can't go. Not enough time, can't go. That's a scarcity mentality. An abundance mentality doesn't give up so easily. An abundance mentality is tied in, what's God leading me to do? What's God want me to do? God, you want me to go on this mission trip? That costs a lot of money. I don't have that money. How am I going to do that? Okay, God, you really want me to go, and, and, and there's prayer involved. And then it is, okay, God, I, you know, if you want me to go, I'm going to trust you for it. Now, I'm not saying you get out your credit card. That's not trusting God. I'm not saying that, but I'm going to say, saying I'm still leaning into that and saying, okay, God, provide. Show me how you're going to provide. That's an abundance mentality. It's tied in more to what God wants us to do. Now, second uh, illustration, let's say God speaks to me about helping someone with a financial need. But as I look at that person's life, I conclude that they are at least at some point in life better off than me. You know, let's say they, they have a, a bigger house than I do, or they have a newer car, or a job that I perceive is better than mine, but they've hit a hard place. Maybe they've lost their job. Maybe there have been some major health issues or uh, some other tragic thing that has happened, and they're in need now. How can I help? How can I help them? Well, the scarcity mindset would very likely just write, write it off and say, well, I can't help them. Look at the house they have. Look at the house. Look at the job he's had. Look at the job I have. I can't help them. And we'll just walk away. And maybe, maybe justify it by saying, well, they should have taken better care of the money they had. And that might be true. Okay. That might be true. But the, the abundance mindset in the very same situation looks at that and says, okay, look at that guy, man. He has a house that's bigger than mine. He's had this good job. Look at the car he drives. But I know that if they don't get $50,000, they're going to lose their house. And God's putting this on my heart to help them. And, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And so the abundance mindset goes to that person and, and it, with God's leading says, okay, I know that this $20 is not going to solve your issues. Or I know this $50 or $100, whatever it might be, is not going to... Is, is, not, is not what you need. But I want you to know I'm giving this to you because I love Jesus and I love you. And I'm giving it to you in the name, in the name of Jesus. And I believe as I'm giving this to you, there's going to be something of the kingdom of God released through this. 
And I am praying that the kingdom of God will break into your situation and meet your needs and answer this situation. You see, an abundance mindset realizes it's not about how much money I have to give, but it's about me obeying God and giving and allowing the kingdom to break in into my life and possibly even into that other situation through my giving. And so a third simple illustration is focused more on uh, power than it is on money. And, and so just think of this. L- let's say for the sake of argument <clears throat> that you are out praying for the sick. Okay, how many here have gone out on the street and prayed for the sick? Okay, several people across the auditorium here, okay? But let's say that you're one of those. You're, you're kinda, you've lost your mind at this point in your Christian life. And um, you don't care what anybody else thinks about you. And you're out there on the street praying for the sick. And you, you come around a corner into a little, uh, a little area. And you see three people. Okay, one of them is well-dressed in a, an expensive suit. He looks like he could be a high-priced lawyer or a mayor or a, 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 a famous person of some sort. Powerful person. Another one is a student, blue jeans, backpack. Now, the third one is a guy that is just down and out. When you look at this guy, you realize this guy slept on the street under a bridge somewhere for the last few weeks. And th- this guy's, you know, in a tough spot. And all three of them are limping as they're walking across this little plaza area. Now, just picture yourself there. Which one of them would you feel most comfortable approaching? Which one of them would you be able to approach with the most confidence and the most ease and the most peace? Because you know you have something to give this person. Now, if, if, if we think, well, the poor person would be the easiest one to approach, that might, might be true. And it might be the best one to approach. He might be the guy that God wants you to approach first. But the simple truth is, We're benefactor to all three of those people because we have the power of the kingdom in us. And that that guy dressed in the expensive suit, his knee needs healed just like the other people. Robbie Dawkins talks about walking through an airport and seeing this well-dressed guy with an entourage of people and this guy's limping and Robbie walked up behind him tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, sir, I notice you're limping. Can I pray for you? And the guy that turns around is Wolf Blitzer, uh, the news analyst on TV. And I mean, Robbie, he's standing there with tattoos and a t-shirt and probably, you know, not dressed like like an executive, but anointed with the power of God and not afraid of anything because of that. And so he ends up taking Wolf Blitzer off to the side with his whole entourage, praying for his knee and seeing his knee healed. And that's an abundance mindset. That's an abundance mindset. That we have an abundance of the power of God that we can, that, that God can use us to minister to anyone. And when we begin to get this into our, into our hearts and our minds and allow it just to begin to filter in, in a deep way, it'll change our lives. It'll change the way we view life. Life is going to become a blast because you're not going to be worried about provision any longer. You're going to be moving on the basis of what's God leading you to do with the confidence that he's going to provide and just cracking it all open and giving 
is a key moment where we break that stronghold of scarcity, that grip of scarcity in our hearts, and we can begin to walk free from that and, and to walk in the power and life of Jesus. So uh, we're going to worship, and uh, my encouragement to you is as we worship, just to really open your heart up to God, let him speak to you. And as we go into worship, um, we have taken this declaration of freedom and we have shortened it, <clears throat> made it a little more powerful, I think, by doing that. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to read this together. You have it in hand and you can see on the other side are the three uh, ministries that we're going to give to in this uh, Freedom Project. <clears throat> It'll be on the screen as well. So let's read this together, okay? Through Jesus Christ, we are set free. We reject fear and anxiety. We embrace the power, the love, and the sound mind our Heavenly Father has given us. Our mission is to proclaim and release the power and life of the kingdom to our families and our community, to our city, and to the nations. God is a good Father. He provides all we need and more. God provides abundantly for our needs. He gives us extra so we can share with others. As free sons and daughters of God, we give sacrificially and joyfully to destroy spiritual strongholds and free the oppressed. Amen.